0: Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 384th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer, You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222. Or go to Iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's garden to 44222 or Iwanttogarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is aiding our food-growing military veterans to feed their communities. We're talking with Rachel Pettit about veterans who farm. Rachel worked on small-scale farms for six years after earning a degree from UC Santa Cruz in community studies with a focus on food systems. During her time in the field, she learned the intricacies of harvesting okra without getting itchy, collecting 600 eggs without cracking any, and bunching kale with one hand. I'll tell you, that's quite a talent. Rachel currently manages the fellowship program at the Farmer Veterans Coalition. Their fellowship program enables veterans to invest in infrastructure and tools they need to feed their community. Rachel administers grants that support veteran farmers in their new careers. Welcome to the show today, Rachel. Are you ready to rock? Yes. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Thanks for having me on the podcast. I fell in love with farming in Santa Cruz when I was studying food systems and the people that are involved in them. More than hands-on farming, I was really studying farm laborers and the people in all aspects of the food system. And during that time, I had just a side job to pay for college working on a really beautiful flower farm on the coast south of Santa Cruz, and I was just amazed with how rewarding the work could be and how beautiful it was there. And I was really inspired by the flower farmer and the way that he hybridized these very unique varieties of flowers. And that just sparked something that gave me a hunger for farming. And I really wanted to work on lots of different kinds of farms and learn about different crops and see different climates. So I traveled to Oregon and worked on another vegetable farm there. And then also in the Davis area, I worked on a slightly larger scale organic mixed vegetable and poultry operation and just couldn't get enough. And it was just Really rewarding and fun, but I was missing working with people a little bit. It was a lot of time alone out in the field. Uh-huh. About at that time, I met Michael O'Gorman, who's the founder and executive director of the Farmer Veteran Coalition. And we had lunch, and he told me his vision for this organization. And again, I felt that call to be involved and was really inspired by the work that he's doing, assisting military veterans with starting new careers in agriculture. So I stopped working in the field and went full-time with the Farmer Veteran Coalition. I spent three years and I'm just really happy with the work that we've accomplished.
0: Wow. And you sound like you have quite a story. First of all, UC Santa Cruz has an amazing hands-on program. Do they not? They
1: do. Yeah. The CASPIS. Farm training program. It's not the program I did. I was there for undergrad for just a bachelor's degree in Mm -hmm. community studies, but I did get to work with the apprentices that live and work on the farm, and it's just an amazing, beautiful farm on top of a hill overlooking the ocean, Yeah, and they learn a lot of hands-on skills.
0: Nice. I was actually there about a year and a half ago visiting. I had to go up and check it out. It was just stunning. Yeah. I love that you used the term, you had a hunger for farm. Farming. Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah, I think probably all of our listeners know that farming is a field where no matter how much you know, there's always more to learn.
0: No kidding.
1: Yeah, and I definitely experienced that because I was such a novice being a first-generation farmer. It's not a lifestyle that I grew up in, and I spent six years completely immersed in that world and I would say that I just barely dipped a toe in because there's so much to learn about soil science and taking care of animals and just every little thing that you grow is a whole wealth of knowledge and that's just so cool to me it makes me so interested in the field because it will never get boring things are always changing you get used to something and then the season changes and you're growing something else the market changes you know it's definitely what makes it really challenging but it keeps it really Really interesting.
0: Yeah, that is for sure. So tell us about the Farmer Veteran Coalition.
1: The Farmer Veteran Coalition is a nationwide nonprofit that assists military veterans with starting their farms. So we work in all 50 states and we have about 15,000. Farmer veteran members across the country.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, you'd think it's a very niche group, but there's a lot of farmer veterans out there. Yeah, it's a a great member base that we work with. And there's just one office, it's in Davis, California, but we host conferences and workshops and webinars that reach across the country. And a lot of our assistance is around education and technical training and business planning and financial literacy, but also. Also, a big, important piece of what we do is networking. So we host a conference once a year that all of our members are invited to, and people make these connections with other farmer veterans in other states. And there's a lot of information exchanged, and even sometimes business relationships and partnerships form out of this conference. And we also invite government partners, so people from USDA and other agencies like CCOF and all of those allies come together to meet these hundreds of farmer veterans and hear their experiences and hear what their needs are. It's just a really great conference. So that will actually be happening November 14th to 17th this year in Kansas City, Missouri.
0: Oh, wow. Cool. So how does one attend? Can anybody attend?
1: Yeah, it is open. It's kind of geared towards farmer veterans, but also any partners or anyone interested in learning more about farming. There's more details on our website, farmvetco.org.
0: Cool. Because I was going to say anybody that was interested would obviously learn a lot about farming and plug into some great people.
1: Yes. It's a really exciting conference. There's a lot of energy there when you get a room full of people together that have so much in common between Uh their military and their farming experience. The conversations are just really lively and there's information flying everywhere. It's really exciting to see.
0: Nice. So how and why did this organization get started? If you're in all 50 states, it must have been around a while and you've got to be doing some great work.
1: Yeah, definitely. Michael Gorman really had the vision about eight years ago. He gathered together a group of people just north of Santa Cruz. They met on a farm and came together to discuss just solutions for several needs that are apparent in our society, one of which is veterans returning from combat and facing, at the time, very high unemployment rates and a need to continue service to the country. And then on the other hand, an aging farming population where farmers are older than ever and ready to retire and there isn't a young group of people stepping up to fill those positions. So bringing those groups of people together to mutually meet their needs and serve our country was really important to Michael and to this group of people that were just kind of brainstorming some solutions. So connecting returning veterans with land and new careers and really satisfying work that can feel like a continued service to feed America. It's just all very important work.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I am a big proponent of and say often that the single most important thing that we can be doing right now as a culture is learning how to grow our own food.
1: Yeah, definitely. We all agree with that.
0: Yeah. So tell us more about your fellowship fund. That's the project that you oversee
1: correct yeah we have several programs at the farmer veteran coalition and probably our most popular one is the fellowship it's a grant that is application based so any of our members can apply also our membership is completely free we don't charge for any of our services so once a year we open the fellowship application and it is a pretty lengthy application that asks a lot of questions about someone's future goals with their farming operation and how a grant would posit impact their business, and included in the application, they submit a business plan. We have a panel of volunteer advisors that are experts from the ag industry, and also several of them are veterans. They review these applications, and then in the spring, we disperse about $200,000 each year. We've given out over about a million and a half dollars through the program over the course of a few years. The maximum award is $5,000 and it goes to purchase really crucial pieces of equipment in the first few years of someone's farm. Mm-hmm. Common purchases are irrigation systems and greenhouses. We've bought pregnant heifers for someone to grow their herd for the first year mm-hmm. and squeeze shoots for people to handle their cattle safely and just Semi-small pieces of equipment that really make a big impact and someone may not be able to prioritize purchasing them on their own.
0: Yeah. And does the Farmer Veteran Coalition have an education program that they run the veterans through?
1: We do. We have a wealth of information in our office just amongst the staff because all of us are former farmers, and many of us are veterans, so on both fronts we can provide information on navigating the benefits to being a veteran, like the government benefits that support veterans entering into a new career. And then also a lot of technical information about agriculture and farming. So just calling our office is a great place to start because there's a knowledgeable and friendly staff there. But we also partner with organizations and universities across the country. So we put on webinars and workshops and very hands-on field tours, things like that.
0: Awesome. So you also have a program called Homegrown by Heroes. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, Homegrown by Heroes is our marketing brand. It's, again, a free program for veterans to participate in. So it's a label that our veterans can put on their products and it helps consumers identify it as a veteran-grown agricultural product. So if someone is selling at the farmer's market, a consumer will walk by, and it's a very distinct label, and it says Homegrown by Heroes, and often it's a conversation starter, and consumers will want to learn more about it. It can really make the difference in a sale where someone feels... A deeper connection to a product because they're learning more about its origin. So any farm that's more than 50% owned by a veteran can use this label. And if it's a value-added product like jam or salsa or soap, as long as the ingredients are coming from the veteran-owned farm or from another veteran-owned farm, it's also eligible to use the label. With some value-added products, it's really cool because it often is a representative of several veterans going into business together or buying from each other. For example, we have a barley grower in the Midwest that is obviously a veteran, and he sells his grain to a veteran-owned brewery.
0: Oh, cool.
1: Yeah, and they're now sourcing veteran-grown hops So eventually that beer would be made up of 100% veteran grown ingredients and therefore the beer could be certified Homegrown by Heroes also.
0: Wow. Cool. There's so many different places to go here. So if somebody wanted some more information about the Homegrown by Heroes program or the Fellowship Fund, go to your website. How do we find out more about that?
1: Yeah, definitely check out our website to get more info on the Fellowship and Homegrown by Heroes or any of our other programs. And also we have a section on our website called Stories, and they have really great photos featuring the different farmer veterans that we work with. Just really high quality, amazing photos that show the diversity of operations. We have fishermen in the Northeast. We have a cow rancher in Alaska. We have a cacao grower in Hawaii. There's just a lot of diversity in crops and geography amongst our members. And it's really fascinating to look at those photos and read the stories.
0: Wow, cool.
1: You can find all of that on our website, which is farmvetco.org. And also just giving our office a call. There's always someone on hand to answer questions or just chat about what we do. And the number is 530-756-1395.
0: Awesome. So how long have you been with the organization?
1: I just celebrated my three-year anniversary last
0: month. Oh, congratulations. That's cool.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: I want you to think back over your three years there and there was at least one instance that moved you with a farmer. Can you tell us that story?
1: Definitely. The first thing that comes to mind is I had the opportunity to go to North Carolina and meet with one of our farmer veterans and I think it sticks out for a lot of reasons. For one, it was the first opportunity I had in my three years there to meet someone that I'd been talking to on the phone and emailing with and it's a veteran named John Mashey. He has the Veterans Healing Farm just south of Asheville, North Carolina, and meeting him and his wife and being on their farm was just really amazing because John has such a zest for life and he's so passionate about farming and he operates a nonprofit farm that's helping other veterans heal and also start their own ag businesses. So I was just in awe of being able to meet someone in person that I felt like I'd made a connection with over the phone and to see a farm that's completely on the other side of the country. And I haven't farmed in that part of the country. So it was just really rewarding to see how different things look up there. And yeah, it was really great to meet John.
0: Nice. And you kind of insinuated that there might be another story.
1: Yeah. Well, every time I've gotten to make... That connection It feels really memorable Mm-hmm talking to someone about their farm over the phone and then actually being able to set foot on the farm is such a cool experience. And I have had that opportunity a few times because we are a nationwide organization. That's really great. Also, we organize fly-ins to Washington, D.C., where depending on what piece of legislation is being debated, we will find a veteran that's in the region that will be affected by that legislation. And often we can fly them into D.C to lobby on the hill. And I think that's really cool because it brings farmers right into the government buildings that, you know, they're affected by those laws. I like the idea of bringing those people together.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it.
1: Okay. Gosh, I can think of a lot of failures now.
0: (laughs) That means you're learning a lot. That's good.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Something that makes me laugh and I've definitely looked back on many times and learned from was when I was 17, I lived in Berkeley, California and was a home care attendant for a few different quadriplegic people and including a really sweet person named Tony. And Tony really loves cooking and is quite a foodie. And he had a big influence on me and my early years of learning about food and how to cook. We were in his little studio apartment in Berkeley, and he was directing me on what to make for his dinner. And he's in the other room in his wheelchair, and I'm in his kitchen. And he's telling me what things to get out of the fridge that he had just picked up at the farmer's market. He's really proud of these ingredients tells me we're going to make a italian sort of stir fry and to get the zucchini out of the fridge and to slice it into ribbons put the nice olive oil in the pan i'm doing this all i'm feeling really proud i'm learning a lot the apartment smells great like the garlic and olive oil and i put it all on the plate and i walk it over to him and i feed him the first bite and he closes his eyes in what i think is just favoring this meal that I've concocted and slowly opens them. He says, you did great. I've never had sauteed cucumber before. Oh, I'm not sure what you mean. You know, I made this Italian stir and He said, I think instead of the zucchini, you grabbed the cucumber. And I realized that, of course, he was right. And I didn't even know the difference between zucchini and cucumber at that point in my life. I have come so far. <laughs> but he was just so sweet about it. And he ate that whole plate of sauteed cucumber. And he pretended to like it. <laughs> I've thought back on that. Oh, that was 12 years ago.
0: Uh-huh. I've
1: thought back on that so many times, especially when I was farming outside of Davis and it's 110 degrees out and I'm in the thick of the zucchini plants getting itchy and frustrated. And I'm thinking, this is karma. Now I will never forget what a zucchini looks like and the difference between that and a cucumber.
0: That is the most epic failure anybody's ever shared with me. That is precious. Thank you so much for that.
1: Yeah. I wish I could say I made that up with that is 100% true. And I think Tony's going to listen to this and laugh a lot.
0: <laughs> nice. So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Probably on that same farm where I picked Endless Zucchini. Say hey, Farms in Esparto. Just like an absolutely amazing mixed vegetable organic farm. My only farming experience before that was the flower farm, which was very different in crops. Even the business model, everything was so different. And that's part of what drew me to work at Say Hey. is I really wanted to experience a production farm where someone is making their livelihood off of this farm and truly committed to feeding people. And I learned that. I got a great experience working for Chris Hay and in learning all of that. And the reason that I count that whole time as one of my biggest successes It was a really hard job. It was just incredibly physically and mentally challenging. And I often felt like the clumsiest, slowest person on the crew, though no one else made me feel that way. It was just like an amazing team of people. I worked alongside probably six just beautiful, smart, incredible humans. And I learned so much working side by side, working really long hours with them. And by the end of my time there, I could confidently say that I felt like a part of that team. I didn't feel like the weakest link in the chain. I felt like a contributing member to the team. And I made lifelong friendships and experiences and knowledge. So I look back on those really long, hot, hot days. And I'm just really proud.
0: I can hear that in your voice. (laughs) So what drives you?
1: I would say a sense of humor (laughs) is pretty important. It gets me through a lot. But I think a deeper motivation for me when I wake up every morning is thinking about all of the gifts that we receive on this earth. And that inspires a sense of stewardship I want to be a good steward to this planet and to the animals and the people that are inhabiting it and remember that life is precious and to really honor these gifts that we receive by caring for them.
0: Nice. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Oh man, I have a real obsession with books, so this is a tough question. I wrote down a list of like 30.
0: <laughs> I
1: think, in this context and in this moment, the book that I would most like to recommend is Wild Fermentation by Sandor Katz. I had the honor of hearing him speak at UC Santa Cruz. He came and taught a fermentation workshop there because he's just a really kind-hearted human. And I think what drives him is teaching other people about wild crafting food. Mm -hmm. So that book, when I first got my hands on it, just inspired me to try all kinds of crazy things. I made strawberry wine and Ethiopian honey wine called Tej with cherries that I harvested in Oregon. And I learned how to brew beer, which became quite an expensive and time consuming hobby that I really love to spend time on and how to make a sourdough starter and a kombucha scoby and things that I was purchasing in the health food store and thought I knew about and it's a whole nother game to actually be doing the fermenting yourself and to deepen that connection with the food that's nourishing you that was a really inspiring book.
0: Beautiful. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: If I could give one piece of advice, I think it would be to treat each challenge as a growth opportunity when you're in the muck and the chaos of a challenging situation. To try really hard to remember that at the other end of that muck is personal growth and that the challenge is only a temporary, momentary state of being, and it will ultimately lead to a wealth of knowledge or a funny story or a sense of relief that the situation is over. It always leads something better. So when I'm in those really frustrating situations, I just try to take a deep breath and think, all right, I'm learning right now.
0: Beautiful. So I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I have three questions for you. How do you harvest okra without getting itchy?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Wear a lot of clothing. <laughs> yeah. That was during that time where I was kind of clumsy and slow at Say Hey. And we had okra plants that were taller than me. And in the middle of them was a hornet's nest. And oh. it was just like the dark forest that Hansel and Gretel go through or something it was my least favorite task and I never wanted to go do it and I had to just pull my sleeves down tuck my pants into my socks and like dive in there I guess yeah just going a little bit slower like taking the time to be a little bit slow and careful, which can be hard for me to just go in there and really intentionally be careful and avoid the hornets and try not to get itchy.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So collecting 600 eggs without cracking any probably has somewhat of a similar answer.
1: Yep. Again, going slow. There were, I don't know, maybe 800 Vega hens at say So a big part of taking care of the chickens is collecting all of those eggs. There's an easy way to carry stacks and stacks of eggs and there's a hard way and it took me a few mess
0: ups oops
1: yeah those are expensive mistakes when the eggs are a high value item
0: right and how do you bunch kale with one hand?
1: That is also really challenging. I think it helps the team members that had larger hands were definitely more successful at that. But as you're going down the row and picking the kale, you are lining up the leaves in the best formation to make a nice bunch and keeping the stem tidy. Again, I guess is about being careful and intentional. And so holding those in one hand and then taking the twist tie out of your top pocket in your overalls and getting it around those suckers and still kind of looking ahead at the next leaf that you want to pick for the next bunch because you have 300 bunches to pick and it's getting hot and a lot of it I guess what I learned is how to be fast and slow at the same time. Ah. You want to be physically moving like practically running down the road is what it felt like and mentally being present and slow and careful and really taking care of the things that you're harvesting and keeping them nice and thinking about the person that's going to be receiving them.
0: Yeah, that was truly epic. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me.
0: You bet. And thanks for being on the show. We love having you, Rachel. Thank you. So how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: The best way would be, uh, of course, to visit our website, farmvetco.org, but also email is great. And the best email is support at farmvetco.org. Code.org. That's support at farmvetco.org. And also, definitely give our office a call. The phone number is 530 756. One three nine
0: five. Beautiful. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash veteran farmers. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast claiming your inner urban farmer is easy grow food share it and name your farm then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast pick up your urban farmer bling hats and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com
1: we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast remember to listen for
0: tips advice and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming you can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org